evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. It's great to be here on this Monday, the last, it feels so good to say this, the last full week without the NFL until January, I guess, Pro Bowl week. That's it. But even then, after that, you got the Super Bowl. So really our last week without talking about actual football games that are upcoming until February. We're that close, folks. Ten days away. And college football started over this weekend. It's just going to ramp up. Coming up this weekend on, on, on Saturday, and you got the big LSU-Florida State game on Sunday. Can't wait to watch that. But a lot to discuss uh, in the world of sports. Aaron Rodgers made his preseason debut. I'll discuss how he looked and you know how the implications that it has for the Jets, uh, certainly starting the season, if not for the duration of the season. Also going to get into Shohei Otani. He got injured last week. Unfortunately, was shut down for the season in terms of pitching. He's, he tore his UCL, uh, so he's probably going to have a second Tommy John surgery. And I still give him every bit of $500 million. Wouldn't think twice about it. Get to that later to show. Also, CJ Stroud, the new starter, I should say new starter, the official week one starter for the Houston Texans, number two overall pick out of the Ohio State University. Uh, I'll discuss why that was the right decision and what the Texans' outlook should be for this year. And speaking of the Texans, their division, the AFC South, they're next up on my list for listing strengths and weaknesses among each division. So we're going to do the AFC South today. So we got Jags, Titans, Texans, and the Indianapolis Colts. So looking forward to getting to that in the show. And again, I just want to go ahead and preview the opening segment. About to get into Trey Lance in just a moment. That I am going to do something that I'm not quite sure I've done in the history of Carving Up Live. And that is change the rules to a certain segment. Let's get into Trey Lance. He was traded to the Dallas Cowboys on Friday night. Kind of caught a lot of people off guard, including myself. I saw the notification, Trey Lance traded, and that's the first few words I saw on the Adam Schefter tweet. So I hit the notification, and it says, Trey Lance traded to the Dallas Cowboys. And my first thought is, huh? <laughs> that totally came out of left field. We're talking about Trey Lance, who was the third overall pick, obviously back in 2021 out of North Dakota State. Really only played one full year of college football. Uh, you know, you know, got the one start during the COVID year, but as raw as a prospect as we've ever seen coming in the league. But obviously, all the upside in the world in terms of arm talent, in terms of athleticism, mobility, the whole bit, the whole shebang. Which is why I loved him as a prospect coming into that draft. I said he would have the best career in that 2021 class, and in, in, in large part because of the fact uh, that he would be going to uh, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers offense. And so I was just, I was thinking about this. Um, he's going to Dallas. And the first thing is like, wait a second. Well, well, how's, how's this work? It's like exactly how it works. Jerry Jones made the rare smart business decision. I'm not going to act like the Dallas Cowboys are the Indianapolis Colts in terms of how they're run or the Houston Texans, two AFC South teams. But they've certainly been, I should say, they haven't been necessarily the model of stability. They tend to be good from year to year, but they're never like the 49ers or like the Ravens, for example, or my Steelers or the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, even if they're not, they don't win the Super Bowl, they're always good every year. It's a great organization, great culture, the whole bit. And so I am seeing a lot of people, and I'll get into the DAC aspect of it in just a second with the segment, but I'm seeing a lot of folks on my, oh, Jerry's adding an unneeded distraction to the team. No, 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 no. He's adding an asset to his team. What Jerry Jones did 
is so the Niners announced Sam Darnold last week is the backup quarterback, meaning Trey Lance is QB three, and they really don't need him on the roster, so they're going to trade him. And I suggest in Minnesota because he has ties there. I believe went to, to I think think he played high school football in the state of Minnesota. So the Vikings last year, Kirk Cousins contract, maybe that could work. He could be the heir apparent, develop for year three. Maybe I heard Atlanta floated out there with as a potential you know destination for him. That would have made sense. But what Jerry Jones did is he understood, hey, there's a lot of teams that want this guy. He's a project, but if he hits the ceiling, oh my gosh, this could be a guy who's a top 10 fringe-ish quarterback in the NFL. Certainly, it's not out of the question for that to be the case. So he added him. Only got him. Just just need to give up a fourth-round pick. Now, a fourth-round pick, I don't want to poo-poo that. I mean, Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick. There's been a lot of very successful players in the NFL who have been fourth-rounders. But he gives up a fourth-round pick. So what is he going to do? Dak's the starter. Cooper Rush is the backup. Maybe Lance replaces Rush. I'm not quite sure. I think I, I don't think, listen, Lance is significantly more talented than Cooper Rush. But Cooper knows the offense better in Dallas. He fits it in terms of if, if Dak, knock on wood, he stays healthy. But if Dak were to go down with an injury like he did uh, you know, the last couple of years, Cooper Rush can step in there. He's efficient. They don't put him in position to make a whole lot of mistakes. And you can tread water you know, waiting for your starting quarterback to come back. But they developed Trey Lance for a year. And then next preseason, so 2024 preseason, they show him off. They say, look at this kid. Look at Trey Lance. How about some of these, these teams that weren't bad enough to tank? I think Washington could be in that mix. But, you know, maybe aren't good enough to win a Super Bowl. Sort of in that discussion, right? The, as I say, NFL hell right in the middle. Just good. Maybe a playoff team. They're not terrible. Not the Arizona Cardinals or the or the Bucks. I think are gonna be terrible this year. They're good. You know, there's some plenty of teams out. Atlanta will be good. Plenty of teams out there. Potentially even you know. Potentially the Saints if if the Derek Carr experiment doesn't work. I don't think that's gonna be the case. But let's just floating it out there. I'm gonna show Trey Lance off. Say, look at this kid. We got the guy who's the third overall pick in the draft. We've already got a franchise quarterback. Uh, Dak's the man. Cooper Rush is a is a very good backup quarterback. Look at this guy. We don't need him. And what Jerry Jones is going to do? Buy low, sell high. I've always criticized Jerry Jones as the general manager, and even uh, you know as far as an owner. Now, not from the business standpoint. Jerry Jones is a brilliant businessman. It's the reason he's worth what is he worth? Probably eight billion dollars and nine million billion dollars. That's that he's a brilliant businessman. He's a risk taker. But any great businessman buys low, sells high. That's what he's going to do with Trey Lance. Gets him for a fourth rounder. What do we say he gets him for next year? A second rounder? Trey Lance is going to his third year. I highly doubt the Cowboys opt in to the last year of his contract. I doubt that. Uh, but they they develop him this year under Mike McCarthy, uh, you know, uh, under the Cowboys' offensive system. Let Dak be the guy. You know, stylistically, Lance is a more talented version of Dak. Obviously, now it comes to accuracy. Dak's got him beat by a significant margin. Poise, the whole bit. Obviously, Dak's got the experience as well. But Dak can mentor him. McCarthy can coach him and develop him. And by next year, hopefully for Dallas, he's in a much better spot from a developmental standpoint. The expectations are low. He's not expected to start for anybody anytime soon like he was in San Francisco. And he can become a better version of himself. And the Cowboys can move him and get probably a second-round pick for him from a team that, you know, not bad enough to get like Caleb Williams or Drake May or somebody. But, man, they could use a, a young project quarterback who has a high ceiling. Smart move from a business standpoint. 
by Gerald, Gerald Wayne Jones. Give him, give him a lot of credit for that. The second aspect I want to get to this because a lot of people asking, well, timeout. Dak's the starter. Everybody knows Cooper Rush is the backup. Will Greer, you know, you know, Will Greer had a very good preseason performance against the Raiders the other day. But Will Greer, we thought was the third stringer, probably gonna get cut. And then they make the move for Lance. Will Greer is 100% gonna be cut. And now it's the question hey, by week five, is Cooper Rush the backup quarterback or is it Trey Lance? Only time will tell in that regard. But everybody's asked the question what does this mean for Dak? Does this mean. You know, the Cowboys are going to develop Trey Lance to become Dak's heir apparent because they don't believe in Rain Dakota Prescott. They don't think he's the man. They know he's not the man. I've seen a lot of that on social media and even by esteemed journalists reading articles and on television this morning. That's an opinion that I think is quite adorable, honestly. Because if we're going to use that logic... According to Diana Rossini, excellent NFL insider, she reported a couple days ago when the trade happened, the day after the trade happened, rather, the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens are two teams that had conversations with San Francisco about a possible trade for Trey Lance. In the NFC, the Detroit Lions also showed interest. Most of the early discussions about a trade involved a six-rounder that could get to a fifth. In the end, the Dallas Cowboys offered the best deal. So by this logic of Dak's not the guy that Cowboys don't believe in Dak, that is why they traded for Trey Lance. They're going to develop him and he'll succeed Dak. Well, then I guess the Detroit Lions quarterback by Jared Goff, I guess they don't believe in him. Even though he had a career year last year, Lions had big expectations this year. They, they, they don't believe in him. Or Josh Allen, you know, he's gotten the Bills to an AFC title game. They're the most relevant that the franchise has ever been since the Jim Kelly, you know, offense back in the 90s that made four straight Super Bowls. Josh Allen's a superstar. Hey, I don't believe in Josh Allen. Hey, they don't believe in him. Or a team quarterback by Lamar Jackson, who, you know, the Ravens did, you know, give a, you know, five-year, $216 million contract to. They don't believe in him either because that's why they were in the Trey Lance discussion. No. These are all franchises that have set in stone franchise quarterbacks. In the case of the Bills and the Ravens, superstar franchise quarterbacks, and they wanted an extra trade piece. They had the same strategy that Dallas does. Dallas offered more. Niners got the best package. That's where they traded him. But this whole notion, oh, Trey Lance is a threat to Dak. It says nothing about Trey Lance. Frankly, it says nothing about Dak. This is everything about the fact that there's this, and I don't think I've ever seen it with a quarterback. I don't think it's just the, he wears the star in his helmet thing. It's the fact that there's this, there's been this anti-Dak noise ever since it came to the NFL. A lot of it's come from the people that thought Romo was better. Romo could have gotten that team further in 2016, yada, 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 yada. But this, this, this narrative that, oh, Trey Lance is a threat to Dak. How, how's he, how's he a threat? How's he a threat? Completes barely over 50% of his passes. He has four starts in his NFL resume. Only three, three of them were below average to say the very least. And that was in the Kyle Shanahan offense. And he's a threat to the eighth best quarterback in the NFL. That's, that's funny. Even if you don't think Dak's eighth, he's, you can argue any logical football person would say he's the established franchise quarterback in Dallas. So I saw that. I'm like, okay, then I guess the Bills don't believe in, in Allen and the Ravens don't believe in Lamar and the Lions don't believe 
And Jared Goff, I guess, right? Is If we're going to play that game, then let's play it. Dak is the guy in Dallas. Listen, we, we've had numerous comments by Jerry in the past about, so remember last year when Cooper Rush got on the winning streak and it's like, oh, there's a quarterback controversy in Dallas. The more I think about it, I actually don't think that was an anti-Dak statement by Jerry. That was a pro-Jerry, pro-business, pro-Cowboys PR statement. That was a, just to get everybody riled up, if there's one thing Jerry Jones knows how to do, it's not win Super Bowls, at least in the last 28 years, it is be a great salesman. He is the best marketer in professional sports. We talk about the Cowboys every day during the football season. We can't say that about the Kansas City Chiefs, and they won two of the last four Super Bowls and appeared in three of them. Jerry's a remarkable marketer. Now, Jerry, in this press conference, and by the way, we'll play the bite from Dak Prescott. And here's another aspect of it that I wanted to get into. Uh, if we can get the, the Dak Prescott sound, it's about two minutes long, what he said about the Cowboys trading for Trey Lance. Take a listen. What did you think about the acquisition of Trey? Uh, I mean, obviously, I understand it's a business. Uh, that's a first-round talent, um, and uh, you're always trying to make your team better. Um, but that, that's, that was the front office, so we're going to welcome him as we do any teammate. Um, and uh, hope he just he makes us better, and then we're going to continue to get back at it. And know we've got one goal as a team. Would you know anything about him, like paths cross at all? I mean, paths cross, I guess, uh, during his draft process um, for a marketing thing. And uh, seemed like a great kid. You know, he's a great kid. knows he's a great, excuse me, a great guy, I should say. And uh, as I said, I'm uh, ready to welcome him to the team. Did the trade surprise you at all? Um, to be honest with you, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. Uh, he's been in this league eight years, been on this team. Uh, it's hard to say that I was surprised, to be honest with you. There was some speculation that uh, this move would somehow strengthen the Cowboys' negotiating position with you when it comes to contract talks. Do you feel that it does? I believe that talks and those talks uh, in the office where business is handled. So, I mean, that, uh, that'll come a time when, when that happens. And so, Would you have expected to hear from Jerry on this beforehand? He said he didn't tell you. Would you have expected a heads up or not? Uh, I mean, I... I can't say that I necessarily expected it, no. Um, I understand that as business. I understand that they're probably on a timeline. They need to get something done. And as I said, he felt like that strengthened this team. And, um, yeah, as I said, we're ready to welcome him. And, um, yeah, I mean, what is this? we knowing the strength of the quarterback room that we have, uh, honestly, right now, I mean, my, my heart and my mind is with Will. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a tough situation, honestly. Um, Love that guy to death over there, plays his, plays his ass off, comes in, prepares the right way each and every day. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as I said, we're going we're gonna to welcome Trent, uh, Trey, and that's, 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 that's what you do for a teammate. I mean, we're excited. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm always there to help somebody, help a teammate. Uh, very selfless person, so that, that's not going to change by any means, but my heart's with that guy over there. Right now. Okay, so Dak was talking about how he was – not notified by Jerry Jones. Again, that was the soundbite. We didn't show you the video. I've watched, I've watched a, as, a, as a big Dak Prescott fan, as the Dak Prescott defender in all of sports content creating, entertainment, etc. I've watched a lot of Dak press conferences. He's one of the best I've ever seen in terms of, like if the Cowboys have a tough loss or Dak plays a bad game, he's always stoic. He takes the accountability for the loss. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna take the bullets for the franchise, and they're gonna move on. He's he's always been great with that. He was irritated. Dak Prescott was irritated that Jerry Jones didn't reach out. Now again, 
as a Dak Prescott defender. I absolutely, as I mentioned in the, in the to start the segment, absolutely defend the Cowboys bringing in Trey Lance. 100%. Great business move. But could you have given your, I mean, this is a guy who's going to be in the same room with, with, with your quarterback. Could you at least give him a heads up and understand? Because the Cowboys know. Cowboys know this could be a story. I mean, it's a story, you know, whenever the Cowboys release Will Greer, because it's the Cowboys, we're going to talk about it for about, you know, a minute and a half. Oh, Cowboys release Will Greer. So if they trade for the guy, the, the, the most sought after QB3 in recent memory, that's going to be a story. It's in Dak's position room. Could you notify? By the way, Jerry Jones in a soundbite said he didn't even notify McCarthy, which seemed even weirder. It's like, well, isn't Mike the guy you're entrusted Interesting to, to to develop this kid. I don't know. That was odd. And again, that's the bad side side of Jerry that drives me crazy. But you know, the fact that he didn't tell Dak, I thought was was strange. Uh, and listen, he said he wanted to get this deal done as quick as possible. But just at least, you know, not, don't don't even ask Dak. Dak's not the general manager. Jerry Jones, the general manager. At least give him a heads up. At least give him a heads up. But again, to end this segment, uh, again, this is something I don't think I've ever done in the history of carving it up live. But a little switcheroo for the weekly segments on the show on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So carving up the context, we initially intended for that to be a segment for the middle of the week. I decided, you know what, maybe if there's a story similar to this one that occurs and it's like there's got to be some context provided, we need to go ahead and get into it and get into it and dive in. So it's carving up the context here in the Monday edition, and it's going to be spread throughout the week. We're going to break some rules on carving it up live because, darn it, I'm the one who makes the rules. It's like if Roger Goodell changed the catch rule in the middle of the game. He's the commissioner. That's his call. This is my call. Carving up the context. Let's go. Again, we talk about this Trey Lance to Dallas thing and and how he's a threat to Dak Prescott. Folks, four starts. Four. And he was in Kyle Shanahan's system, a system in which Brock Purdy has succeeded, and Jimmy Garoppolo has succeeded, and Nick Mullins has had his moments from time to time. And you're telling me he's a threat to a guy who has won 60% plus of his games and has an, a very good touchdown to interception ratio and, and has led the Cowboys to back-to-back 12-win seasons, a playoff win to retire the greatest quarterback of all time, the face of your franchise, the Walter Payton Man of the Year, the unquestioned leader in the locker room, one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league when it comes to wins and stats and numbers. And But he's a threat. He is a threat to Dak Prescott again. Then I guess Trey Lance would have been a threat to Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, or Jared Goff because all three of those quarterbacks teams wanted Trey Lance. He was always going to be a trade piece, be it in Dallas, those other three franchises. All three of those teams, I think, uh, certain, certainly you can make the case for Buffalo and, and the Ravens, even the, the, the Lions, all three of those teams in the playoff mix, all three of those teams very confident in who their quarterback is and where he can get them. This is not a situation which Trey Lance was going to replace one of those guys. The notion that that was going to be the case in Dallas for a team that has NFC title game or bust expectations, as I've talked about the Yoda season for the Dallas Cowboys that they were just going to use this year. Okay, if if it's if Dak didn't play well, oh, here we go. Let's go to Trey Lance. Stop. Trey Lance could not beat out, forget Brock Purdy. Trey Lance could not beat out Sam Darnold. And they think he could beat out 
Rain, Dakota, Prescott. Shortened edition of Carving Up the Context for your week. There you go. Let's see. We got a comment here. My man Devin from the My Thoughts, My Opinion podcast right here on the Grid Network. Devin says, my guy, I'm glad you're wearing a different hat. Because, listen, if it's a sec, if it's not a segment, if it's a show, I got to defend Dak, Devin. You know, you, we, we haven't known each other too long, but I consider you a friend. You're an incredible teammate, an incredible uh, contributor with your shows here on the Grid Network. Go check out Devin's stuff, My Thoughts, My Opinion, and the At The Bank podcast, which is a Raven show. That's why he was saying that, because I'm a Steelers fan. He doesn't like when I wear my Steelers hat. But the point being, you know, you're going to learn that when it comes, when, when, when Dak gets crapped on by the media or by fans or by folks out there who pretend they know football and social media, I got to come in. I got to defend my guy. If nothing, nobody else will, I'll have to defend Dak Prescott. I'm more than willing to do that. By the way, before, and by the way, of course, folks, feel free to chime in the comment section. I am on a, not just in the comment section as well, but I am in a sort of, I shouldn't say race, I guess it's sort of a race, not racing anybody, just racing gets time, really. It's like Tom versus Time documentary from a few years ago. I've got a goal, and I'll elaborate on this as time goes on, especially once we get closer to football season, but I've got a goal. So I've so I've got to 187 subscribers on YouTube, so it's kind of been a slow build, but the support has been incredible by every one of those 187 plus uh, people uh, commenting and contributing. But I'm trying to grow this show as much as possible. I want to get to 1,000 subscribers by this year's Super Bowl. So if you haven't subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. I always point to this one up here. You can't actually subscribe by clicking this one. It'll actually pause the video. But if you go below it, there's a little red subscribe button. I think it's actually black. I'm not sure. Whatever. It's next to um, the Carving It Up logo. Hit that. Subscribe. The journey to 1,000 subscribers starts now. I'm looking forward to it. So if you haven't subscribed, please do. If you have, tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe to the show and follow, obviously, on social media platforms, which you can see down there in the little ticker. So I really appreciate that. Also... Again, before we get in our next segment, because I just saw this, and my buddy Barry Grant Jr. does a segment. It's arguably the best segment on the Grid Network, although I would put If I Were a Batman right in that ballpark. But although I, can't, I guess I can't say that because If I Were a Batman wasn't all that successful last year. We're going to bounce back in 2023, guarantee it. But he's, he's he does a segment called uh, Dummy of the Week. It's the end of his every show. It's a great segment. And a Dummy of the Week, it's pretty self-explanatory. I got a candidate. For Barry and Barry, if you're listening, hear me out. I, I was talking to Barry earlier today. He's got a pretty good candidate for Dummy of the Week, but at least consider this one. Okay. Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Washington Commanders, a man who I have great respect for, is obviously we know beat cancer in 2020, still got Washington to the playoffs that year, got Carolina to a Super Bowl, coached him to a Super Bowl. He's, he, he's, been a, he's been a very successful head coach in the National Football League, short of winning a championship. But he was talking to Albert Breer who's one of the great NFL reporters of this of this time. And Ron Rivera told Albert Breer that he wasn't aware of how good Sam Howell, the commander's starting quarterback, was throughout the 2022 season, or he would have started him sooner. Here's his quote. He said he recalled talking to his wife. Quote, all we bleeping talked about was the quarterback. I kept saying bleep. If I would have known this, I would have played him sooner. Okay, this is the same guy, by the way, if you remember, a year ago in week 17, the Commanders played the Cleveland Browns. Playoff hopes on the line. If the Commanders lost, they're done. If they win, they're in the playoff mix going into the final week of the regular season. 
He decided to start Carson Wentz. We know his history in big games ain't great. And after the game, if you remember, remember the soundbite where the, the reporter said, now that you're eliminated from playoff contention, and he said, what? We're, we're done? Like, yeah, you, you lost. You're, you're, at, you're mathematically out of contention, out, out of contention to make the playoffs. And it's like you saw like the, just the, 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 like, oh my God, oh, I wouldn't have started Wentz if I knew that. It's, it's like you, how he's not aware of these things beyond me. It's one thing to not know you're not ready for the playoffs. It's another to say that you see this quarterback throughout training camp a year ago, throughout the season, and obviously throughout this year's preseason, uh, and, and even offseason training activities before that in training camp, and saying, I didn't know he was this good, or I would have started him. Well, didn't coach? Didn't you see him in practice for the last you know, year and a half? I don't know. I saw that. I'm like, I'm like, oh, coach. That, 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 that's so, some things. Some things. And Ron Rivera is is, is kind of growing a reputation for this. He's starting to say say things out loud that he probably shouldn't. Like, I remember he was talking about a couple weeks or a few weeks ago about Eric Bieniemy, the new offensive coordinator for the Commanders, obviously former OC with the Kansas City Chiefs. And he said that, oh, he's 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 really hard on these guys, and he's yelling and screaming at them. And they made this big media story. Oh, my God, he's a football coach is yelling at his players. Now, if there's, like, you know, verbally abusive language, that's one thing. But if it's just loud, yelling, cussing, every coach does that. Or I should say it, most coaches do that. And the fact he said that put his office coordinator in a bad spot. It's like, coach, coach. I don't know. Listen, I don't. Carolina Panthers fans are probably know better than I. D- does he have a history of this? Because I, I don't remember him having this many bad, unfiltered moments over the course of nine months. Like, how is, uh, I don't know. I just saw the soundbite. I'm like, what is he doing? No, you don't have to say that out loud, coach. You, you, you don't. Not everything you have to give to the press. Matter of fact, that the whole you know, shtick of press conferences, especially with coaches and quarterbacks, is word salads. Politicians are great at it. Say a lot and not say anything at all. Say a lot without saying anything of substance. Just the same old cliches that we're used to hearing on a week-to-week basis. So the preseason concluded last night. Let's... Let's give a standing ovation to that. Preseason's over. Uh, the next football game that will be played in the National Football League actually counts toward the two teams' record. The to- Detroit Lions and the defending Super Bowl title chief, uh, to- to- defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs. Last preseason game was last night. Houston and the New Orleans Saints. By the way, it seems I don't know why. Uh, it seemed like New Orleans always. I think every single preseason game they played on a Sunday, which I don't know if that's like a tradition of theirs. I don't really follow the preseason that much because it doesn't matter. But I just saw that. I thought it was a little odd. But uh, C.J. Straub uh, played last night, looked solid uh, against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, by the way, the Texans won the game 17-13, uh, to 13, in case you were wondering. But Stroud, you know, 2 4, 16 yards, threw a touchdown pass, pass rating over 100. Again, tiny sample size because it's the preseason. But the new head coach of the Houston Texans, D'Amico Ryans, announced after the game that C.J. Stroud is the, is the starting quarterback for week one against the Baltimore Ravens, which I don't think, really think came to a shock to anybody. Bryce Young's the starter in Carolina. Anthony Richardson's the starter for the Indianapolis Colts, trying to get these first-round talents out there as quickly as possible. And the Houston Texans doing the same thing, albeit they waited, I guess, a little bit longer for my liking. But hey, it is what it is. He's he's the guy. So every time there are five highly touted quarterbacks, guys that really get a significant amount of media attention coming into a draft, I always say that 
all five are not going to work. It's just not realistic. Two of them usually end up being stars to superstars. One of them's fine, doesn't really blow your socks off, and two are complete busts. Two are complete busts. So, like the 2021 draft, for example, we had five first-round quarterbacks. You kind of got to wait on the process to see. Like Trevor Lawrence, we know he's the guy. He's Jacksonville's starting quarterback, superstar quarterback. I think he's the third best in football. A lot of y'all going to come around to that to that idea once the, as the season progresses. But uh, I'm, I'm on it early. But Trevor's the guy. Everybody agrees on that. Zach Wilson thus far has been a bust for the Jets. Trey Lance, I'm not quite willing to call him a bust yet, but it hasn't looked great. So we'll sort of put him on the fringe bust category, kind of that in-between. And Justin Fields, a guy who is going to be in that in-between category, a good season. He's probably, I shouldn't call him a star, but he's on the he's closer to star than bust, certainly. And Mac Jones has been a complete bust. Okay, we, the, the end of his rookie season, all throughout last season, he's been a disaster. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks in professional football, and that's that. 2018. Baker Mayfield, bust. He's on his fourth team now, fourth team in three years. Sam Darnold, bust. He's on his third team in four years. We'll do the math there. Then you got Josh Allen, superstar quarterback, top five in the league. Josh Rosen, huge bust. No doubt about it. He's a huge bust. And then you get two way down the list in Lamar Jackson, superstar, MVP level guy, uh, and that the Ravens can win long term with. You often, you usually have that. And I said in this year's draft, the one I'm most certain about is the guy that went last among the five quarterbacks, and that's my man Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Uh, Accuracy's great. Mobility, uh, arm strength, got the whole package. Uh, intangibles are incredible. He went to a good organization in Detroit. Whether or not he'll be the guy there or not, we'll see. But he'll be the guy somewhere. He'll be a franchise quarterback. You can, you can take that to the bank. Then you have guys like like an Anthony Richardson, who's kind of a project. Bryce, who's, Bryce Young, who's really talented, kind of small, though. C.J. Stroud, who's has the size that Bryce doesn't, but there's kind of a thing with Ohio State quarterbacks that they really don't work at the next level. We're still waiting for Justin Fields to get to that level. We think he's capable of getting to. And then obviously had Will Levis, who is in some part due to injuries and other parts due to he's just not that good, is the third-string quarterback on a Tennessee Titans team whose starter is Ryan Tannehill. So... Out of this class, and I've been kind of all over the place on who I think is going to hit. I, I've been I've been consistent. I think Hendon Hooker is going to be uh, a star quarterback in the NFL, franchise guy. I think Will Levis is going to be a bust. I don't like Will Will Levis's intangibles. I think they stink. Uh, he he's really into his arm strength. He's kind of the, that big arm guy. Think of like a Brett Favre. Like guys with big arms, they want to show you got they got big arms. They're going to heave it down the field as much as possible, show it off. He's not that accurate. Mobility, eh. Like, there's some real question marks with Will Levis, and that's the reason the uh, a guy who was projected to go top five ended up falling to the second round. Richardson, the ups, he's like the modern day, he's like, I shouldn't say modern day, he's the, this year's Trey Lance. Like, God, the upside's there, but man, he's not accurate, and I'm not quite sure he's ready to go. But I still defend the Colts. I did a whole segment on that uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. I defend the Colts, making him the guy. And then Bryce Young, accurate, moves pretty well, good arm for his size. Dang, he's tiny. And historically speaking, certainly in recent years, small quarterbacks, they don't pan out into what you hope they, they, they could be. Uh, Baker Mayfield never panned out. You know, Drew Brees is the is the exception, uh, not, the, not the norm. Russell Wilson had an awful year last year. Tua, I like him. He's a starting quarterback in the league. I think he's in that tier below franchise quarterbacks. 
the size hurts him. The size is, is, is plays some factor in why he's dealt with the injuries that he's dealt with. So it's a real thing in the NFL. And so worry, worry for Bryce in that regard. But C.J. Stroud, starting quarterback week one for the Houston Texans, a team that we don't really anticipate will go anywhere. I actually don't think Houston will be as bad as people think they'll be. They were bad enough to get the second overall pick last year. Could have gotten the first pick if they hadn't thrown that Hail Mary against the Colts and won that game. and got I think they got a two-point conversion too. And if you look at the Texans offseason, it wasn't bad. They added Dalton Schultz. Okay, tight end. John Mechie, God bless him, coming back from, from cancer. We saw what he was at Alabama. If he comes anything close to that, he can be an impact player at the next level in the National Football League. Damian Pierce coming back after a very good rookie campaign. D'Amico Ryans, again, we know he doesn't have any head coach experience. A lot of guys liked him. He interviewed with a lot of teams. He's the guy. And Kyle Shanahan evidently thought he was good enough to be his defensive coordinator. We'll see if he pans out as a head coach. Listen, the AFC South is the Jacksonville Jaguars to lose. I don't even think that's a debate. They have far and away the best quarterback. They don't have far and away the best coach. As a matter of fact, you could probably argue Vrabel's a slightly better coach than Doug Peterson, but Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl champion and won it with Nick Foles against Tom Brady. And Nick Foles you know, played Brady throw for throw. Jacksonville's getting better in terms of young talent. Calvin Ridley's coming back. Jacksonville's the team to beat. Titans are the clearest number two in my, my eyes. Great culture. Added DeAndre Hopkins. Derrick Henry's coming back. And I'll give sort of my AFC South outlook later in the show. And then obviously you have sort of the Colts and Texans battling for that third place spot, trying to rebuild with, with young rookie quarterbacks. I'll go to, I don't think the whole starting week one thing applies to Stroud as much as it does Anthony Richardson from the perspective of Richardson needs to get on the field as much as possible, screw up, learn from his mistakes, and go into 2024 a better player, hopefully for the Colts a significantly better player then than he is now. Stroud is a much more developed prospect. His accuracy is solid, good arm, moves well. We saw his mobility a lot in that semifinal game in the college football playoff against the eventual champion Georgia Bulldogs. He's a lot more refined of a talent than Anthony Richardson is. And so I absolutely, even more so than the Colts, I should say more so to a lesser extent than the Colts, I don't think he's like, he's got to get in the field, got to play, got to make the mistakes. He does, just not the extent Richardson does because he's, he's he's a less he's a more you know refined prospect but houston's got a solid coaching staff houston's got a decent receiving core houston's got a running game now their defense is eh, suspect but that again we don't expect much from the texans this year all i'm saying is houston won three games last year i i'm, I'm not even kidding when i say this could they get to six and here's listen they, they were last place team last year there's some winnable games in their schedule I think they could beat Atlanta. They could certainly beat Indianapolis, who they play twice. Uh, Tampa Bay, they can beat. Arizona, they can beat. Uh, they've got also, uh, again, the Colts, uh, again, on their schedule. Could they split with one of their divisional foes, be it Jacksonville, who they did beat last year, or Tennessee? It's not. By the way, they beat Tennessee as well last year. It's not out of the question. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad. Listen, Davis Mills is nice. I actually kind of liked him out of Stanford. He, he's okay. He's, he's a backup quarterback in the league. He's never going to be a franchise guy. But I, I think the Texans are making the right decision, starting Stroud right off the bat, week one, making him the guy, and then moving on from there. Uh, but listen, it's a rebuilding franchise. It's historically, even though they haven't been around that long, it hasn't been that well run of a franchise. But they got some good pieces in place. I like D'Amico Ryans. I think he'll be a good head coach in the NFL. Uh, the defense, you hope, under D'Amico Ryans, who's a defensive coach, you hope will improve. Wide receiving core is better. Damian Pierce coming back. 
And now you got a much higher ceiling at the quarterback position than you had a year ago. And really since Deshaun Watson was traded. So, or I should say since Deshaun Watson took his last snap as a Houston Texan back in 2020. So I don't know. I, I, I like this. I obviously defend this move by the, by the Houston Texans. And I think, Listen, they could be a Canada. They could be one of those teams that, that doubles their wins from last year. You got to remember, they were in a lot of close games. Like, I remember back-to-back weeks, they were in, they should have beaten the Dallas Cowboys in AT&T Stadium. They, all, they very well could have beaten the eventual champion Chiefs the very next week. So they were in some tight ball games, tight, tight, you know, some positions to, to win close. And at the end of the day, they weren't able to close because they're a very young football team. And that, that's, there's a lot of development that needs to go on there, but I think CJ Stroud is is in that sort of in between. Like I'll probably give like a final prediction on the rookie quarterbacks before the season starts next Thursday. Next Thursday, baby. But I, I think he's closer to the star franchise quarterback than he is to bust. But Ohio State quarterbacks, you know, kind of like Alabama quarterbacks historically. Like when you give these guys five stars across the board in the O line and receiving uh, receiving core and coach and defense, and in the case of CJ Stroud, he played in a pretty weak conference outside of Michigan and Penn State. It's kind of a, a it, it's a big culture shock once you get in the NFL and everybody's good, and you're not just having to chill against you know Nebraska or Northwestern or some of these schools. But I, I, I think he, I think he has the potential to to work in this league. So like, although they took longer than I would have liked, I do like the, the Texans starting him right at the bat in in week one. So we'll see what we get from from Houston. Obviously, not going to be a team that we have a lot of attention geared towards, but nonetheless, they'll be they'll be they'll be watchable. Uh, they again, they go to Baltimore in week one. Baltimore is a ten point favorite. I think that's that's fairly appropriate. I think Baltimore is a Super Bowl contender. As much as that hurts me to say, as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. All right, moving on to baseball for a moment because I really was looking forward into getting into this. So last Thursday, rather last Wednesday, Shohei Otani suffered a brutal blow to his 2023 MVP campaign, although I still think he is absolutely the American League MVP. I don't think it's particularly close, to be honest with you. He suffered a torn UCL last week. He won't pitch the rest of the season. Chance will probably need Tommy John surgery. May not pitch all of 2024. And we know this is obviously a huge winter for Shohei. He's going to be a free agent. One of the most coveted free agents in the history of Major League Baseball. Virtually every team with any, with the money to pay him what, he's going to likely you know, go for and command, a lot of teams are going to go after him uh, this winter. So he's not going to pitch him. That's obviously what makes Shohei so great. That's what makes him far and away the best player in Major League Baseball is the fact that he's an ace and he's a power hitter who you know, also has a solid average as well. So I'm seeing, a, I saw a lot. It, it truly shocked me. I don't know. Maybe it's because, let's be real, certainly more so than, Folks in the football media, definitely more than the basketball media, even in the college football media, college sports media, rather. Baseball writers, certainly we see this with the Hall of Fame, which don't even get me started on that. Folks who cover baseball tend, not going to put a blank, you know, blanket statement here, but tend to be more, uh, you know, conservative in terms of playing it safe. You know, not not you know, not really taking huge you know swings with their takes and with their opinions, and so the safe thing in theory, at least when it comes to Shohei pitching in the future, 
is, okay, he's not worth $500 million now, which is what we all kind of project the contract's going to look like. Seeing a lot of articles show he's not worth $500 million now with this UCL tear. And by the way, this would be his second, this is significant, a second Tommy John surgery. Okay, he's worth every penny of the $500 million he will likely command. Here's why. First of all, this is his second, potentially going to be a second Tommy John surgery. And could some of that be pointed to the fact that the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim have been one of the more injury-riddled organizations in Major League Baseball ever since Shohei got got there even back? Mike Trout is again on the injured list, despite what should be like the prime of his career. They've had other injuries to other players, so... Is it safe to say their medical staff isn't that of, you know, the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Astros or any of these other well-run franchises? Is it crazy to make that statement? Something else, too. Shohei's going to pitch again. You would certainly assume he he loves to pitch. Let's say for the sake of argument, so he's not going to pitch the rest of this year. We know that for a fact. Let's say, and it's an all likelihood, he won't pitch all of 2024. So he comes back 2025. He'll be with a new team. He's not staying in, in, with the Angels. He's not. Comes back with a new team, plays next season, is, is just a hitter, comes back as a pitcher in 2025. If Shohei comes back and he's not an absolute ace in the American League Cy Young discussion, or even nationally, depending on where he goes, he's in the Cy Young discussion. If he's no longer that anymore, or he's maybe he's Nathan Avaldi. Nathan Avaldi, who pitches for the Texas Rangers, helped my Red Sox win a World Series back in 2018. Nate Avaldi had two, like Shohei will likely have, two Tommy John surgeries. Post Tommy John surgery in 2016 was his most recent one for Nate Avaldi. He's had a 397 ERA. With a 40 and 26 record. He's a quality starter in Major League Baseball. He's helped the Texas Rangers are playing bad baseball right now, but he's 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 really been their best pitcher, certainly since, since, since DeGrom went down. If Shohei's that, plus he's still Matt Olson as a power hitter, you're telling me that guy combined. So we're saying Matt Olson, who could pitch like Nate Aldi. That's worst case scenario because modern medicine is so much better. Again, he'll go to an organization that has a better medical staff. They won't overwork him like the Astros did on the I'm sorry, like that, like the Angels did on the mound. And he'll be better suited in the long run to be able to 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 pitch at a high level for years to come. If he comes back as native Aldi as a pitcher, but stays Matt Olson as a hitter, you're telling me that's not worth 500 mil. Ooh, I have a hard time believing that. We've never, I've gone on and on about this, dating back years on the show, we've never seen a player in the history of Major League Baseball like Shohei Otani, Babe Ruth included, because all due respect to the Babe, he, he was not pitching against you know guys who could hit, hit the ball 500 feet. Some of those guys. Throwing, you know, 90, by the way, hitting against... 99 mile an hour gas. Shohei is worth every penny of $500 million. By the way, after his first Tommy John surgery, you want to know what Shohei Otani's uh, numbers look like? Pitching? 
282, and by the way, you exclude the Kobe year because he only made two starts. He had two bad starts in 2020, but it's just two games. It was a COVID-shortened year. Take that out. So in 21, 22, and 23, this is post-Tommy John surgery. Shohei Otani has posted in 288 ERA with a 34 and 16 win-loss record. Again, if he isn't that post-Tommy John surgery. Again, by the way, something else too. Uh, Justin Verlander had Tommy John at age 42 years ago. And the year after he came back, I'm sorry, the year he came back, he messed around and won the Cy Young Award in the American League in his 40s. You're telling me a young, healthy, in-his-prime athlete like Shohei Otani can't do that? So the folks that are suggesting she's not worth $500 million, okay, then I guess you just don't want your baseball team to be better. Because any smart general manager, president of baseball operation, owner, whatever, with half a brain and eyes that can see, understands the fact that Shohei, if she, he doesn't pitch for you next year, okay. You, you, I didn't know they were signing him to a one-year deal. And even then, I consider it because how great of a hitter he is. Worth every penny. Worth, worth every single penny. So Red Sox, if you're listening, make it happen. At least get in the bidding. If you got a bid against the Yankees or the, the Dodgers, get in the bidding war, okay? You got to do that. We, we lost Mookie Betts, who came back to, to bite me yesterday at Fenway and really throughout the weekend. It really hurt my soul because Mookie was my favorite player post-Big Poppy and Dustin Pedroia. So let's not miss out on Shohei Otani Red Sox. Okay, can we, can we do that? Let's do that. He's leaving the Angels. He may not pitch next year. Don't care. He's worth $500 million. No questions asked. It's crazy that the, the thought of he, not him uh, of passing up. Yeah, let's, let's pass up on Shohei Otani and get this, uh, you know, this number three star in our rotation. He'll make a much bigger difference. Come on. That's, that's, that's ludicrous. Okay, so Aaron Rodgers, by the way. Aaron Rodgers played his first preseason game with the New York Jets. Obviously, this this is the last preseason game in total for, for the Jets. It was actually his first preseason start since 2018. And, you know, listen, he, he looked, well, in the limited time he got, it looks like Aaron Rodgers. I think that's safe to say. Listen, he went five for eight, uh, 47 yards, touchdown pass, pass rating of 118, like just, you know, typical, at least in a short, you know, spurt, typical Aaron Rodgers numbers. And the by the way, the Jets beat the Giants. Nobody cares. It's a preseason game, but the Jets beat the Giants in that game 32 to 24. So again, I always say I don't want to overreact to the preseason. I think it's something. I mean, it's football. You are playing against starters. A lot of the Jets first team guys were out there. By the way, a lot of the, some of the Giants first team guys were out there on offense. So the Giants and Jets played some of their their every Sunday guys. And Aaron looked really good uh, in the time that he spent uh, you know, on the field as, as the quarterback for the Jets. Here's what my takeaway was. Aside from he missed he missed CJ Uzama on one throw, uh, and he seemed to be you know Aaron's type of dude. Like you see him, he get really mad at himself, like cuss himself out, like dang it, Aaron. Like you know, like that's that's kind of a lot of quarterbacks do that. Honestly, aside from that, the thing that struck me the most, and it's a preseason game, but this means a lot for the Jets going into the season because what was their biggest con- what's their biggest concern? It's that offensive line. Aaron looked pretty comfortable. Now, again, there's no pressure. It's a preseason game. But he looked spry. He looked athletic. He looked more, got to be honest with you, more in shape 
than he looked in week one of last year. Like I, I saw there was a stat they were comparing, hey, 2021 week one, he was awful against the Saints. 2022 week one against the Vikings, he was terrible. Some of that, I think, is didn't commit to the offseason, wasn't in the greatest physical condition. With the Jets now, I mean, that, oh, Lordy, that throw to Garrett Wilson. Whew. Wish we had the tape of that. That that was, I mean, that was beautiful. Listen, I, I've never been the biggest Aaron Rodgers fan. I think that's anybody who's watched the show for a long enough time knows that. But I've, I've always acknowledged he's one of the 10 best to ever do it. He's four-time MVP, Super Bowl champion, first bout Hall of Fame lock. That goes without saying. I've just bought an Aaron a lot more now that he's appeared a lot more uh, committed to football, committed to his teammates, committed to the process, committed to the coaches, and ultimately committed to winning a, a Super Bowl title now with the New York Jets. But the mark of a great athlete, great anything, but especially we're talking about athletes, like it's, it's a performance-based. Uh, it's really one of the last I, I heard uh, – I think it was, was a Bill Maher talking about this. Like sports is like the last meritocracy in America. Like we, we see like sometimes in Hollywood, there's some nepotism, sometimes even in politics really doesn't exist in sports. Like you can, at least in, in terms of playing, I mean, Steph Curry didn't get in the NBA because his, his dad was good. No, Steph Curry got in the NBA because Steph Curry was a good enough NBA player. And we see what he's become. And that goes with a lot of guys, sons who, I mean, you know, Dwayne Wade's son was not good enough to make the NBA. He wasn't, uh, or at least it hasn't been to this point. Point being, the mark of any great athlete is that they make the incredible look routine. Again, I, I wish we had the tape. That throw to Garrett Wilson, we know the Rodgers sort of class of like quick get out of his hands, like sidearm throw, almost like he's like 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 he's a cowboy. He's like you know rounding up the the horses or around up the cows rather. You know, his lasso and everything. That's what it looks like. I mean, just effortless. And it's like that ball was in the air forever. And it's like it was, again, it's one of those those plays where it looks like the quarterback might as well just stopped, stopped everything, uh, stopped the defense from doing anything, run up to Garrett Wilson, go in, hand in the ball, and let him score. That's what that looks like. It's beautiful. Right over the, the over the head of the Giants DB. God, it was just, I love it. I, I love watching beautiful throws. That was that was outstanding. So, love to see that. Aaron looked good. Again, I I, I don't. I gotta be honest. I don't have Super Bowl expectations for the Jets. I don't think Aaron is going to be as successful as Tom was in Tampa in that year one. Boom, ready to go. Same thing with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, and, and by the way, the Rams ended up being awful last year in their Super Bowl. It's probably the worst Super Bowl defense in NFL history, certainly in recent NFL history. Uh, I, I don't think the Jets are lock contenders. I think if they if they were in the NFC, as weak as that conference is, where you've got Philly, San Francisco, Detroit, Dallas, like those teams, I think they'd be in the discussion. But they can win the AFC. I really do think they can win the AFCs because I don't trust Tua's health. I don't trust Buffalo. Uh, you know, the way they built their football team of the offseason, the coaching losses, the weird vibes around the organization, uh, New England just simply isn't good enough. So the Jets can win the AFC East, but against the likes of a Kansas City, a Cincinnati, assuming Burrow's healthy, a Baltimore, heck, a Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a better built football team than it's certainly Kenny Pickett is not Aaron Rodgers at this point, but they've got the better coach. They've got just as good. I would strongly argue better defense weapons equal. You could almost give the edge to Pittsburgh, both teams of offensive line questions. So, and we're, listen, we're publicizing the jets because it's a New York team because Aaron Rodgers is there. There's expectations with the jets for the first time in really a decade plus really since the Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez days and, 
Let's be honest. Mark Sanchez, he was solid. He was a game manager that had everything to do with the defense. The fact of the day when you could have kind of an average offense that the defense could carry you to playoff wins, it's not that way anymore. But I liked what I saw from Aaron. Looked good. Looked comfortable. Aside from the one missed throw to Ozama, looked in in rhythm. A lot better than he's looked in week one the last two years. And I don't know. I liked it. I liked it. Now, nothing just blew you away. It's again, it's a preseason game, but I liked what I saw from uh from A-Rod, from from one of the best to ever do it. So we'll see what happens with the Jets this year. Again, like them. Think they are absolutely gonna be in the mix to make the playoffs, maybe even to win the AFC East, a division that I really don't think is as good as people are giving it credit for, but I could be wrong on that. I just don't see as deep as the AFC as them winning winning the conference. It's gonna be hard for them to win a playoff game as deep as the AFC is, but we'll see. I just love the the commitment from Aaron Rodgers. Love it. Okay, so by the way, coming up next week, probably on Monday, but I'll give you a heads up if that's not the case or if it is the case. Next Monday, we hope to get Ryan Flowers of Clutch Sports Talk. You guys know he's been doing some great work for the Grid Network. He's been a busy man lately. He's been out here coaching high school football. Coach Ryan Flowers will be joining Carving It Up Live uh, uh, to my NFL season preview show. This is the third year in a row that Ryan's going to be on here. The last two have been great in 2021 and 2022. He's going to be on this year for NFL predictions, so division by division, predicting playoff results, and award winners, and ultimately when it's all said and done, who wins the whole darn thing, who hoists the Lombardi Trophy and wins Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Ironically where he's from. And so, yeah, we'll make, we'll make that happen. Ryan will be joining us again, likely next Monday, but I'll give you all an update, you know, sort of what, what, what the finality of that is for the NFL season preview show on Carving It Up. Fourth show that I've done this, and third show, third straight show with Ryan. Very much looking forward to it. All right. This is a, at least a little bit of a preview, I guess. Last segment of the day. So for the last week and a half or so, I've been going division by division, looking at the biggest strengths and weaknesses of these teams coming into the NFL season. Obviously not everybody's contending for a Super Bowl, but you know, you're looking at you know the teams that are favorites in the division, what will help them get to that, what could hold them back from maybe disappointing and winning the division title. I think honestly, I, I would be this is the one this and the AFC West, because Kansas City's run that division for so long. This is the one division where if the team I think is going to win when it doesn't, I will be floored. I will be, uh, barring injury, of course, knock on wood, I would be beyond stunned if they don't win this division. I'm talking about, obviously, Jacksonville, and I'm talking about the AFC South. So we can get, if we can get this uh, background music going right now uh, to discuss the strengths and weaknesses in the AFC South. Here we go. We will start with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars, what is their biggest strength coming into the 2023 NFL season? It's the fact that they have a top quarterback head coach duo in the league. Yeah, I said it. Read him a Holmes of the best. Nobody's arguing that. Outside of that, you could argue, hey, what about Burrow and Zach Taylor? Love Burrow. Like Zach Taylor. I don't I'm still not quite sold on him yet. I think Burrow would have more success even if you know if you added Andy Reid. We let's look at Zach Taylor's record before Burrow got there. It ain't great. And again, you could argue, you know, potentially uh what, what about Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni? Love Jalen. I think Jalen's the fifth best quarterback in the league. Still not quite sold on Nick Sirianni. Love, I shouldn't say love him. I really like him. 
he's done a good job in playing his role as like a a delegator type of a delegating type of head coach in terms of responsibilities but he's not in the level of the guy who his predecessor really in Philadelphia Doug Peterson who won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles as his quarterback against the greatest quarterback ever Tom Brady and Nick Foles won that Super Bowl MVP going throw for throw with the GOAT and ultimately he made more big throws than Tom did and Trevor Lawrence again I'm just early to the party I'm just early to the party Trevor Lawrence is the third best quarterback in the NFL. The last few weeks of the season, I don't think we had the stats on this. Uh, uh, actually, we do. I'm sorry. Since, so since week nine, this is Trevor Lawrence's uh, uh, you know numbers. Seven and two record, completed 70% of his passes, over 250 yards a game, had an insane 15 to two touchdown to interception ratio, a passer rating at 104, and a pro football focus grade of 90 since week nine. That was the third best in the NFL behind Mahomes and Burrow, the only two guys I think are above him, and I'm not even joking, within the next two years, you could have that discussion, who's better, Burrow or Lawrence? He's that talented, he's that good. Uh, listen, there's there's a lot of talent in this Jaguars team, Calvin Ridley coming back uh, from suspension, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, good offensive line, good pieces, but ultimately they're not going anywhere if Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson are not there, if they're there, ready to go. Jacksonville, to me, is the far and away favorite to win the AFC South, and I think they're a Super Bowl contender in the AFC. As low as the AFC is, I believe wholeheartedly in the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's their strength. Their weakness, on the other hand, and it concerns me for their Super Bowl contention, defense lacks depth and talent in the secondary. They got gashed bad in the passing game throughout last year, particularly against elite quarterbacks, even middle-of-the-pack quarterbacks. I remember a game where Ryan Tannehill who's good. Like, I don't want to poo-poo on Ryan Tannehill act like he's some bum. He's a good starting quarterback in the league. But Ryan Tannehill's going up and down, up and down, up and down on this Jaguars defense, even in the playoffs. A big reason they fell down 27-zip to the Chargers is because of Trevor Lawrence's four picks. And a lot of it is they were awful, awful against the Chargers in the first half uh, in terms of their pass defense. Herbert, again, in the first half at least, was going up and down on him. Even my man Joshua Dobbs, and I love me some Space Dobbs from Tennessee. Might be the Cardinals starter this year, by the way. But even Joshua Dobbs had his moments going up and down this defense. And even against Kansas City, albeit Kansas City makes a lot of defenses look silly, they struggle. Right side for Jacksonville is the defense is going to be older this year. Trayvon Walker, who you drafted with the first pick in the draft last year. You hope to get some improvement from him. Certainly in the secondary, though is where your concerns lie. Uh, that's not going to hurt them in the AFC South. There's not any a whole lot of elite quarterback talent in that division. Potential with Stroud and with, with Richardson, but untapped potential. But in the AFC, that could cost them against the likes of Mahomes, Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, etc. Moving on to the Tennessee Titans, certainly the most established team in this division from a culture standpoint. Their biggest strength is the fact that incredible coaching will make up for a roster whose talent just isn't overwhelming. Again, the Titans have a good roster. It's not, not going to blow your socks off. A lot of defensive guys coming back healthy. Uh, you have Ryan Tannehill coming back healthy. You have Derrick Henry, again, getting up there in age, but still highly productive. Still, in my view, in the discussion for the best running back in football. And one of the bigger offseason acquisitions of adding DeAndre Hopkins in the National Football League. So that's the props to them for, for doing that. Traylon Burks, again, we'll see. I, again, I think Traylon Burks might have been dealing with some injuries, if I'm not mistaken. So I could be, could be off on that. But the Titans have a solid roster. <sighs> Given the injuries they dealt with, what were they in week 11? Week 10, week 11. They were the one seed in the AFC. Then Tannehill went down. Then a bunch of defensive starters went down. And they went on, I think it was a seven-game losing streak. 
six, a six or seven game losing streak to end their season and, and, and fail to make the playoffs uh, for the first time since 2000 and gosh, what was it? 2018, I guess it was. Mike Vrabel had them in a game. I remember this against the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium with Malik Willis. Malik Willis, a heck, whole heck of a lot more developed now than he was last year. Malik Willis starting at quarterback in Arrowhead Stadium, Sunday night football. In a game in which Malik Willis failed to pass for 100 yards, the game went to overtime against Patrick Mahomes, who had to make a Superman play to get the Chiefs to overtime. Mike Vrabel is a remarkable head coach. He's a great culture setter. The Titans will be good. They'll probably be in the playoff mix. A lot of that, is, though, is coaching, not necessarily the over an overwhelmingly talented roster. Their biggest weakness, the Titans, is they just might have the worst offensive line in professional football. It was atrocious. Tannehill had no time. Malik Willis had no time. Joshua Dobbs had no time. You could argue to a certain extent, uh, potentially, that's what caused even the backups just the preseason, but that's caused some Malik Willis's turnovers from a comfort standpoint in the pocket. Uh, you know, Will Levis has dealt with injuries, so... Listen, the Titans are a Ryan Tannehill injury away. Again, Malik Willis has gotten better. I actually liked Malik Willis a lot, even more than my man Kenny Pickett out of the draft. Fun fact in 2022. But in an AFC where, again, in AFC South, we're competing with Trevor Lawrence. In an AFC, we're competing against the likes of Mahomes, Burrow, Lamar, and Allen and company. Rodgers, <laughs> you're going to have to you're gonna have to be, protect your quarterback to keep him upright. And the Titans' offensive line has really struggled. Taylor Wan left, or they released him in the offseason. Like, a lot of guys, they lost in that offensive line. That could be a serious problem for Tennessee in 2023. Moving on to a team that I, I didn't think I'd be discussing so much in the last two weeks, but there's been a lot happening with the organization with their new starting quarterback and with their uh, potential future former superstar running back. That's the Indianapolis Colts. What is their strength? Well... Their head coach has a history of developing talented young quarterbacks. Shane Steichen doesn't have head coaching experience in the NFL, but he was with the Los Angeles Chargers with Justin Herbert. Justin came to the NFL. Again, I loved Herbert in that 2020 draft, actually more than even Burrow and and Tua. Uh, From a health standpoint, from an ability standpoint, loved Herbert. He's panned out exactly what I thought he'd be, and he's only getting better. But Shane Steichen you know, was able to help him grow, even with a terrible offensive line, helped him get better. More importantly, though, he was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts, who's a very similar prospect in talent to Anthony Richardson. I think Richardson has a slightly higher ceiling. Will he meet that or not? That's you know to be determined. But you know, Jalen Hurts came in the NFL with some serious question marks in terms of turnovers, in terms of arm strength. In terms of just you know decision making, and now look at him, we're, we're like, oh yeah, Jalen Hurts is is probably a top five quarterback in the league. If he's if he isn't, he's darn close. He led the Eagles to a Super Bowl. He's improved as a passer from an accuracy and a deep ball standpoint, and from a decision making standpoint. Shane Steichen had a lot to do with that, obviously on top of of Hurts's incredible work ethic. So for Anthony Richardson, Steichen is the perfect coach for him. Again, my concern for Richardson in, to a large degree is. Is the culture in Indianapolis not going to allow him to become what he's capable of being? That obviously stemming from the top with the owner, Jim Ursay. But I, I like the hire of Steichen. I think he helps Richardson get better. And that, to me, is the Colts' biggest strength. Their biggest weakness, on the other hand, is that an already bad defense, yeah, got a lot worse in the offseason. They lost two starters in the secondary, most notably Stephon Gilmore, who went to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, this is a Colts defense that has gotten torched time and time and time again. I mean, the Houston Texans quarterback in that game in Week 18 made them look like they were the 
the worst defense in professional football. Argument can be made at the end of the season. They probably were. Remember that 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 game against Dallas where Dallas scored 30 in the fourth quarter alone? It's a bad Colts team. By the way, same Colts defense as well. With the offense at one point, led by, I think, was the, was the score 33 to nothing, I think it was? And Minnesota comes back and beats them. Gives a touchdown drive after, after touchdown drive after touchdown drive after another touchdown drive and another. It's a bad Colts defense. It's going to play them long run. It's going to force Richardson to have to win a lot of shootouts. And he's just not ready to do that this early in his career. So that's Colts defense is really bad. And finally, a team I talked about earlier, the Houston Texans. Their biggest strength is that among rebuilding teams, offensive skill position group has a lot of talent. As I mentioned when I was talking about C.J. Stroud starting week one. Stroud, obviously, second pick of the draft. You like him. Uh, offensively, they got Damian Pierce, who had a solid uh, year last year, running, I think, for over 1,000 yards behind that Texans offensive line. You have John Mechie coming back. You have Dalton Schultz as your tight end. Like, this is a solid Texans receiving core, tight end group, you know, running back, and talented young quarterback. So, like I said earlier in the show, it would not shock me if the Texans were to just come out and come out of nowhere and double their wins. Not getting the playoff mix, but... You know, they won three games last year. They easily could have won five by beating the Cowboys, who won 12 games, and the Chiefs, who won the Super Bowl. Both of those games went down to the wire, down to the last play, and Texans, you know, the Texans' young talent was able to get them there. They had D'Amico Ryans as the new head coach. He'll be ready to go. And he was a good head coaching hire, certainly in terms of a, of a culture standpoint, instilling a certain toughness in that uh, the, you know Texans team that they they desperately needed, no question about it. So uh, that's the Texans' biggest strength, their biggest weakness. There's a lot of them, but in a division with good running games, whew, their run defense is awful, folks. They were last in the NFL last year, giving up 170 yards per game on the ground. That that's that's not gonna that's not gonna win in the long run in the National Football League. That's a problem for the Houston Texans that they're gonna have to correct. Does Will Anderson help with stopping the run? Maybe he's more of a pass rushing specialist. Obviously, we know from his days at Alabama. That's why he went third overall to Houston, right behind C.J. Stroud to Houston. But offensive skill position group's fine. But man, that run defense it has got to get better. He's got to it's got to get a lot better if the if the Texans are to do what I think they can do, and that's double their wins. So. That is my weaknesses for the AFC South. Let's recap real quick for the Jaguars. Their strength is that they have a top three head coach quarterback duo in the league. Their weakness is that their defense lacks depth and talent in the secondary for the Titans. And incredible, incredible coaching will make up for a roster which, whose talent isn't overwhelming. The Titans' biggest weakness is that their offensive line just might be the worst in professional football for the Indianapolis Colts. Head coach has a history of developing talented young quarterbacks their biggest weakness is that an already bad defense got worse in the offseason. And for the Houston Texans, finally, among rebuilding teams, this is their strength, offensive skill position group has a lot of potential. And their biggest weakness is the fact that in a division with good running games, their run defense is awful. It's bad. AFC South weaknesses. NFC South weaknesses coming on Wednesday show. And with that, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up, as I literally just mentioned, on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern at 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And be sure, of course, to like, to share, to comment, and take two seconds out of your day and help us get to 1,000 subscribers by the Super Bowl. That is my goal. I'm going to need your help to do it, but I know we can. Hit that big red subscribe button if you haven't already. If you have, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe to the show. Tell everybody you know. 
Hey, subscribe to Carving It Up. Go, go over there. Just take, take two seconds out of your day. Hit that subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it if you do that. 1,000 subscribers by the Super Bowl. That is my goal for this NFL season, hoping to grow this show as much as possible. Uh, that is, that, that, hey, that's where it's at. Also, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as any as well as any, anywhere you get your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts and Certainly, we here at the grid will be delighted if we are on your you know, your, your sort of your, your list there for your favorite shows. Last thing too, before we get out of here, tomorrow night, the eight o'clock spot, live on the Grid Network's YouTube and Twitter channel at eight p.m. Eastern, as the title would suggest, five p.m. Pacific time on the Grid Network, the best game show in pod in all podcasts. For the podcasting world, sports podcasting world, no question about it. We got a plethora of guests. I'm the moderator. We got a point total system. It's already been great through three three shows. Barry Grant Jr. All even podcast has won it twice. He actually somehow alleged uh, that it was uh, rigged in the, the the second game when he didn't win when he lost to great contributor Alfred Parsar Jr. who won game two of the eight o'clock spot. If you haven't checked it out, certainly feel free to check out the previous three episodes, but tune in tomorrow night, chime in the comments, tell everybody you know about the eight o'clock spot. You do not want to miss it. It's an absolute blast and have a great time uh, with the guys there. So tune in 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tomorrow night on the Grid Network. Hope everybody has a great week. I'll see you all on Wednesday. Please continue to stay safe. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, I beg of you, more so than I ask for subscribers and your support, please contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. I hate to go on a sober note, but we had a, a shooting at a high school football game in Choctaw, Oklahoma, and a shooting that killed three, a racially motivated shooting that killed three black people at a Dollar General in Jacksonville, Florida. We've got it. We've got to attack this problem, folks. We've got to stop it. So in it, w- w- right now we can't vote. There's no there's no you know elections going on, but contact those who are in office, ask them to make changes. And if they don't, vote, vote, vote them out of office come 2024. But we have got to address this problem. So I please, I beg of you, contact those uh, you know, those that are in power wherever you live to address this problem. Have a great week, everybody. I'll see you on Wednesday. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Y'all have got to stop disrespecting Dak. It's driving me nuts. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.